Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Folks, we've been on a, a journey through the Gospel of Luke. We've been taking an earth walk, looking at the life of Jesus Christ and the reality of who He is. And really, Luke is trying to force us to come to grips with some questions as we've been going through the Gospel of Luke. And really, the questions fall along two sets of lines. And the first one really is this. Who is this Jesus that he demands a response from me? Who is he that he could demand that I respond to him, that I have to make a decision about him? And again, that really is kind of awkward for us in our culture because we're so individualistic. For somebody to want to really to get into our face and demand that we pay attention to him, that we would give our attention to who he is and make a decision about him, we, we, we don't find that to be very easy. We don't find that to be very good, and we struggle with that. And so that's really what Luke's trying to do here. He's trying to get us to make a decision about who Jesus is. Who is he that he demands a response from us? And the second question that Luke's been trying to get us to come to grips with, and that's the whole issue of, do you have faith or trust in him. Do you have faith or trust in him? It's not the issue of belief because you can believe a lot about it. You can believe Jesus is the Son of God, but that really doesn't affect you because belief in itself is not necessarily faith or a trust in. And he's trying to get us to make a decision about them. And so when we look at our passage today, we're in the Gospel of Luke, the 11th chapter, starting with verse 14, we're going to see that some people don't necessarily want to respond the way they should. And actually what we're going to see here from this point on, from verse 14 all the way through the end of the chapter, we're going to see that they are actually rejecting him. We're, they're rejecting Jesus for who he is. They're not accepting of who he is. And Jesus then actually responds to them. And that's what the most of this section is from verse 14 on is a response of Jesus to those who are rejecting him. So I want you to notice with me, let's look at this passage together, and we're going to notice exactly what's going on here. First of all, the rejection, and then notice the first part of how Jesus responds to it. So I want you to notice with me verse 14 of chapter 11 in the Gospel of Luke. Luke writes this, And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. And so it was that when the demon had gone out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled. But, and that's a key word, but some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. And others, testing him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a home divided against a house falls. If Satan is divided against himself, 
How will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. If I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, and he takes from him all his armor in which he trusts and divides his spoils, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. What we're going to see here is we can divide this passage really into two sections. We're going to see the rejection, verses 14 through 16. We're going to see how there are those there, even though there are some who are marveling at what Jesus has done, there are some there who are rejecting. They're not rejecting outright. They're not being outspoken about it, but they are rejecting. We're going to see that those, that group falls into two categories. But then we're going to see how Jesus responds to them. Because he's going to take the time here to show us how he responds to those who are rejecting him. And you know, this whole issue of rejection, that's a real issue today. Because even in our society today, people still are confronted with this question, who is this Jesus that I need to respond to him? And do I have faith or trust in him? And the reality is, is that a lot of people reject him. So let's notice the rejection. First of all, there's a couple things I want you to see here. The first thing is this. Some discredited Jesus. Some discredited Jesus. Now again, if you look at verse 14, it says that Jesus, there he is with the multitude, and one of the folks that's with him, he heals, he heals of a demon, a mute demon, the passage says. So this was a demon that was causing this gentleman, this person, whoever it was in, to not to be able to speak. He was mute. So when Jesus casts out this demon, the guy is now able to speak again. And the passage tells us in verse 14 that some of them marveled. But... If you get to verse 15, it says very clearly, it uses that key word, but there were some there that weren't marveling. There were some there who weren't impressed. There were some there who didn't believe. There were some there who didn't care for what was going on. And so they began to discredit Jesus. And so either speaking among themselves or to themselves, they began to explain away what Jesus was doing. And here's how they explained it away. They discredited him by attributing what he did to Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub is another name for Satan. It means, literally, Lord of the Flies. And so they were saying that Jesus was able to cast out these demons because he was doing it with the power of Satan. So they're seeking to discredit him. They're seeking to take away from him the fact that maybe God was doing this through him and say that it was Satan who was doing it. And Satan was allowing him to have control over his demons. So they're trying to discredit who Jesus is. You know, it's not very different than today. All you need to do is just look around and, and you've got folks who are still to this day, 2,000 years later, still trying to discredit who Jesus is, still trying to say he is not who he is. So they deny his miracles. They deny that he said the things that he said. They're still, they deny that he even died, that he rose from the dead. And so the reality is that some of them discredited him. That was the first group there. Verse 15 tells us there was another group of people there who were rejecting and they maybe weren't discrediting Jesus. They just didn't accept what Jesus was doing. It wasn't enough for them. And here's what they... Some wanted more proof. 
Some wanted more proof from Jesus. It was like, you know what, hey, that was pretty interesting, Jesus, that you could do that with that guy. Hey, you know, if you're really who you say you are, if you really are the one who is the Messiah, if you're really this guy, then you know what, show us some sign from heaven. Do something do something spectacular so that we can believe who you are. So it was not enough for them to see Jesus doing miracles that he was doing. And I want you to think about it. Luke only lists one miracle. It says that he's with a multitude. And we know that when he went into a village that Jesus would often be confronted with many people who were bringing the sick and the lame and the blind to him, and he would heal their diseases. He would heal the blind. He would allow them to see. He would heal the lame, and they would walk again. So the chances are, this is just one of the only miracles that's mentioned, but the chances are there were other miracles that took place. So these folks would see many things take place that day, many spectacular things that were taking place, and these guys are saying, hey, we need more proof. It's not enough for us. I mean, think about it. I mean, the blind being made to see, the lame walking, demons being cast out of people, the mute speaking, the deaf hearing, the dead being raised. Hey, those are just everyday occurrences right here in Kerwinsville, isn't it? Those are just everyday. In fact, those are things that they would see all the time there in Palestine, in Israel, in Judea. In Galilee. So, I mean, Jesus, uh, this is something we see every day. Do something more. And the reality is, as we know, that they didn't see that every day. They didn't see what Jesus was doing every day. But yet, here they are, in their rejection, they're asking for another sign. They're asking for more proof. And, you know, and that's, that's the reality. We see that today, even in our culture, today. As you share with people about your relationship with Jesus, as you share with them about the reality of who you are, there are still people out there that still want to see more proof. They want to see God do some kind of miracle today to, to show them that He exists, to show Him that He's real. They want another sign from heaven. They want proof. And this is the rejection. So Luke just spends a couple of verses here, verse, actually three verses, verse 14 through 16, showing us the rejection that's taking place. Now, the rest of the passage, verse 17 through 23, is actually just one part of his total discussion concerning the whole issue of rejection. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time here, just looking at that first section, verse 17 through 23, and we're going to see how Jesus responds to them. Because Jesus is, is going to address these guys and their rejection. Specifically, he's going to address the ones who are discrediting him and saying that he's doing what he's doing by the power of Beelzebub, by Satan. So I want you to notice with me, look at what it says there. Verse 17, a very key phrase right at the beginning. Luke wants us to understand what's going on here. Jesus decides to address it even though it's not an outspoken thing, even though it's just a murmur or thoughts in the crowd. Look at what verse 17 says. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them. This is the first point I want you to hear as we look at his response. Jesus knows the hearts of men. Jesus knows the hearts of men. I want you to picture it. There's a, probably a multitude, a big crowd there. Yeah, people are talking to each other. Yeah, people are probably murmuring. 
No one is coming. The passage doesn't give you the... There's no implication here in the text that says that people were coming up to him and saying, Hey, show us more proof. Or, yeah, you're doing this by the power of Beelzebub. They were saying this to themselves or thinking this to themselves. The implication of the text is, is that Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew exactly where they were at. He knew exactly what their struggles were. He knew exactly what it is that they were wrestling with, and he knew exactly their rejection of They weren't fooling anybody. You know, you, you know, just I want you to think about it for a moment. You, you might be here this morning because, oh yeah, you look happy, and you sang the songs, and you look cheerful, and you got a smile on your face, but on the inside, you're only here because your wife or your husband brought you. Or maybe mom or dad brought you. Or maybe you're here because grandma brought you or a friend brought you. But, I mean, if it were up to you and if you could say no and if you had the strength to say no and you didn't worry about the repercussions of saying no, you wouldn't be here. Because in your heart of hearts, you reject. You don't believe. You don't care. And everybody else, we're fooled. I mean, we're, we're good as actors. We should be handing out Oscars to ourselves here because we can put on the front. We can put on the smiles, and for one hour, we can look like we're having a good time. But as soon as we leave here, man, our real self comes out. We didn't want to be here. And we think we're fooling everybody here. And you know what? You're doing a good job because I don't know who you are, but you do. And the reality is, is that here's the reality. None of us here know who you are, but Jesus does, because you're not fooling him. And he knows your heart. He knows the hearts of men. He knows your thoughts. He knows your rejection. And that's the first thing we're going to see here in his responses. As he responds to them, it's not overt. It's not something they're wearing as a big placard. They're not wearing a big sign saying, oh, we don't believe the reality is that Jesus knows their thoughts. And here's how he's going to answer them. He's going to answer them in two ways here, basically focusing on this issue of the spiritual aspect of this issue of him doing it in the power of Satan. He's going to respond to them in two ways. The first way is this. He points out how silly their thinking is. Jesus flat out says to those guys who are saying that he does it by the power of Beelzebub, that he does it by the power of Satan, he's going to flat out say to them, guys... Your whole thinking is messed up. If you really took seriously what you were saying, you would realize how ridiculous you sound. And here's how he does it. He does it in three ways. First of all, he points out to them the very nature of the thought that they're saying. Look at with me in verse 17. He says, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought into desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast demons by Beelzebub. Here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, everybody knows the general principle that a house divided against itself can't stand. There's no way. And, and here you are, you're saying that Satan is giving me the power to cast down his own kingdom? How ridiculous is that? How can Satan's kingdom stand if he's going to allow me to tear it down? That's just plain silly. That's the first line of thinking. He goes on a step further and he says, look, here it's even more silly that you're saying this because look at verse 19. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? 
Therefore, they will be your judges. He's saying, look, guys, what I'm doing in casting out demons is nothing new. Your own sons are doing it. Because you understand, in that day, they did have exorcists. They had Jewish exorcists. Specifically, the Pharisees would engage in this. The Pharisees themselves would involve themselves in the whole practice of exercising demons out. In fact, it was a pretty lucrative business. They would get money from doing this. And so Jesus is saying, well, you know what? If I'm casting them out by Beelzebub, who in the world are your sons doing it by? How come you're not saying they're doing the very same thing by Beelzebub, by Satan? And if they're not doing it by Satan, then they themselves will be a judge against your words. Because I'm doing the same thing they're doing. And so that's the second line. So the first thing is to point out how silly their thoughts are concerning Satan attacking himself. And then number two, the reality that it's already happening. Others are doing it and nobody's saying that they're doing it. There's a third thing he's pointing out to them that makes them show how, how the reality of how silly their response is. He says this. Look at verse 20. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God... Surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Here's what he's saying. Here's how silly your, your thinking is, because the reality is this. Let's just say for a moment that you're wrong. They are wrong, but let's just say you are wrong. And the reality is, is that my casting out these demons is by the strength of God's finger. God is giving me the strength to do it then here's the reality. Here's how silly is what you're saying. Because if God is the one enabling me to do it, then folks, the kingdom of God is upon you. It's right here with you right now. Because I'm here. Do you see how, how he's pointing out how silly their thinking is? I mean, we deal with it today. We have people all who, who, who want to say that Jesus didn't die, that uh, you know, that you know, that he that he somehow resuscitated himself and got out of that tomb, and he was married to Mary, and he had kids, and this is all a big lie propagated by the church, and and all kinds of other reasons. The body was stolen, and and and, and when you listen to all of the different proofs that are presented, they're pretty silly. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Quit trying to excuse away what I'm doing. Quit trying to discredit me. Because if the reality is, is that there is an opposite point to your viewpoint, the reality is this. If I did do this in the power of God, then God was among you. And God was among you. How are you going to respond to that? See, here's the thing, folks. With every question... Whether he is or isn't, there, there's an opposite. Whether he isn't, there always is the question of maybe he is. This is what Jesus is trying to say to them. He's trying to point out how silly their thinking is. But there's one other component, and he uses a kind of a parable here in verse 22 and 23. He, he's he's going to show us another component here. Look with me. Actually, it's verse 21 and 22 and 23. Look with me at verse 21. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace... His goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, really, there's two choices. There's really only 
two choices that you and I have. And, and, and that's really either him or Satan. And that's really it. It's either Satan or God. Two choices, Satan or God. Here's the parable. Here's what he's saying. There's a strong man, fully armed, in his palace, and he thinks he's at peace. He's talking about Satan here. I mean, Satan's in control. He's got this world set. He's in control. He's the God of this world. But he said someone stronger comes along and, and overwhelms him and takes what he's trusting in his armor away from him and divides his spoils. Now, who is he talking about there? It's Jesus. That's how he was able to do what he was doing there in casting out the demons. He, he's overcoming Satan, and ultimately he overcame Satan through the cross, through his death on the cross, defeating him, crushing the head of the serpent, Satan. But he goes one step further, and he's pretty direct here. He says something that we, we've got to grasp here. Jesus isn't being politically correct here. He's not saying it in words so that he doesn't hurt anyone's feelings. In fact, if he hurts your feelings, tough. Verse 23, he just comes right down, rubber meets the road, and here's what he says. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. He's saying two things here. He's saying, look, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either working with me or you're working against me. It's only two choices here, folks. You're either with me in the kingdom of God or you're working against me. That means you're a part of the kingdom of Satan. See, and that, that doesn't fit with us because we like options. And, and Jesus has only given us two options. It's either him or Satan. And so we're either with him or we're with Satan. And, and the reality is, is we like to have a third option. And that third option is, is well, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't like Jesus. And you know, I'm sure I'm, gonna, I'm not going to identify myself with Satan because only Satanists do that. The third option is, is I'm for myself. I'm for myself. But, but here, Jesus doesn't see it the way we see it. We like to couch it in that third option. In fact, that third option sometimes is manifested in a maybe. I'm not ready for that decision yet, but maybe later. No, no, Jesus doesn't couch it that way. Jesus just comes right out. He's very direct. He's in your face, again, demanding a response from us. And he's saying to you and I, it's either me or Satan. You've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice. There's, there's only two choices here. It's either Satan or me. That's what he's saying here. I mean, he is confronting them head on with their rejection, with their discrediting him. And he's saying, guys, you are either for me or you're working against me. Guys, you may think that I'm working for Satan. You're silly. There's only two options here. It's me or him. It's me or him. And, you know, and, and the reality is, is that's, that's, that's the two options still today. You either need to choose Jesus or you don't choose Jesus. There's no in-between. In fact, the maybe that we're talking about, or I'm not ready yet, that, that you know, possibly, or, or give me a little bit more time, that's already a decision in itself. That decision is, is I'm choosing Satan right now. We don't like to hear that, but that's the reality of it. It's either him or Jesus. That's a choice that all of us have to make. And so we see here that Jesus is recognizing the rejection. The rejection is going to be there. And, and, and let me just say this. It's not just something that he's humbly accepting. 
It's not just something he's saying, oh, yeah, there's those that reject me. I, I feel bad for them. No, no, no. no. He, he comes right out and he confronts them right where they're at. Because, number one, he knows their hearts. He knows where they're at. He knows what they're dealing with. Number two, he knows how silly their thinking is as they try to discredit him, as they try to seek some more proof or whatever. And then the reality is, is he just brings it right down to, the, to where we are. It's that we've got to make a choice. It's either God or Satan. That's where we're at. Now you're here and you're saying, okay, George, what's the application? I mean, I, mean, I understand the rejection part. I understand where those guys are coming from and, and saying that, you know, it, they're trying to discredit him and, 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 and prove him wrong. And, and, and then the others are wanting more proof. And, and I understand how Jesus is responding to them. But how, how, do, how, do, we, how do we apply this to our lives? Number one, have you come to grips with who Jesus is? I mean, listen, he, he's, this is what Luke is bringing us to. This is what he's wanting us to, to understand. Is who is this Jesus that he demands a response from you? And as we've been going through the gospel as we've been dealing with this issue, the bottom line is, listen to me, the bottom line is, have you come to grips with it? Is he who he says he is, or is he not? And remember, there's only two choices. We either choose him or we don't choose him. And when we don't choose him, we're choosing Satan, is what Jesus is saying. What I'm saying is what Jesus is saying. He says it right there, verse 23. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. You're working against me, Jesus is saying. Jesus comes along and he says, you know what? You maybe got other people fooled. But I know your heart. And you maybe have even convinced yourself... But here's how silly you sound. And the reality is, is you, it comes down to two choices. You're either for me or you're against me. That's what Jesus is saying. So, that brings me to my final point. Make your choice. And again, there's only two options. Make your choice. It's, it's either Jesus... Or Satan. We say, well, I, I'm, I'm not grasping that Satan thing. I, it's myself. No, no, you understand. You, you, The God of this world is Satan. Scripture very clearly tells us that. You belong to him. This whole stuff of selling your soul to the devil, that's a bunch of baloney. The reality is, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you already belong to him. You already belong to Satan. And so you really only have two choices. It's either Satan. God. And the reality is, is you have to make your choice. Now, some of you are here and you're saying, well, I've already made that choice. I'm trusting in Jesus for my salvation. Yeah, but you know what? You maybe made that choice mentally or with a prayer at some point, but your life doesn't show it. You're still choosing to live the way everybody else is living. Nothing's changed as far as that. You still have to make a choice, too. 
He either is who he says he is or he isn't. And if he is who he says he is, then I need to pay attention to what he's telling me, and I need to pay attention to what he's telling me about my life. You've got to make a choice. What's your choice? What's your choice? Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.